Welcome to another episode of the Yes Day Inclusion Podcast. Join Kirby Morgan and Laura Wingler as they discuss the latest statistics from the CDC, which found that 1 in 36 children in the United States of America are diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder. Welcome back to another episode of the Yes Day Inclusion Podcast. I am Laura Wingler. And I am Kirby Morgan. And today we are going to talk about the recently released statistics from the CDC regarding the 1 in 36 prevalence of autism. Yes, which is the biggest increase that we have seen in since 2006. Yeah, it was 1 in 44 was the last one. Um, there was a stat in New Jersey only that a couple of years ago that was low as well. I think it it was like one in 34. And that was just isolated to here. Yes. And um, I was, you know, have been reading and researching. And they have said now that there is no demographic that is not affected. And that girls now who were less than 1% of the diagnoses of autism are now more than 1%. So I think a lot of uh, diagnoses are happening now because of the awareness that is around autism and that they have placed more screenings um, throughout um, your baby well checks. To be honest, when you're filling out those questionnaires, you may not know it, but you they are developmentally screening your child for, um, you know, developmental delays or autism. I think they were definitely looking, though, for things that are not as common. I remember being asked, I mean, I remember being asked all those questions. My daughter always passed. Oh, does she smile? Does she wave? Does she... Um, show you things? Does she play with her toys? Remember all those questions that they would ask you? She did everything. So yeah. yes. And I think we should talk about I want I noticed in the comments of a lot of the um and all the news this week sharing these stats are so many people just saying that they hand an autism diagnosis out like candy. And then you know I've I've had people in my own family accuse me of Somebody in my family had said that, you know, oh, she just paid for that diagnosis. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really how this works. I paid to see the best doctors in the state to, you know, I paid privately because there was 18-month waiting lists to get into the Children's Specialized Hospital. Yeah, let's just be clear. (laughs) It was not easy for an autism diagnosis to be given to my son And to me, he was checking a lot of those boxes on that online quiz. And I was calling all these numbers that were supposed to help me. But I was faced with wait lists, with uh, pediatricians that uh, said, he's smiling. He's a social, social baby. It. It was not an easy Mm-mm. task to get that diagnosis. And I wanted 
let's be clear that for a parent to even go through the strategic or the strenuous process of an autism diagnosis itself is challenging, difficult, it's emotional. And I don't think parents are just jumping in line to go get their child diagnosed with a disability that could affect them for the rest of their life and at the age you get the diagnosis you're basically told you have no idea how this is going to affect their future and you just have to wait and see how early intervention plays out for your 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 case well let's you know let's go there right how many of us i mean i contacted my state's early intervention twice when my child was under the age of three, they have been to my house twice to evaluate my daughter. And the first, I remember with her, they were like, well, she talks and the speech therapist is like checking her little box. And I'm like, um, I don't know. It's, it's banging your head against the wall because you need a snack instead of telling me that you need a snack. Like that's not really, is that communication? Is that meaningful? Like I'm looking back now thinking that, and it's like, they were like, oh, no, she talks. But what they didn't look at is we have, I mean, now I look back because like, I didn't see it either. People, you know, when people talk about a speech delay, you're assuming it's a kid that doesn't talk, right? You're not assuming it's an expressive language delay, not being able to communicate frustration to you or not being able to communicate needs, even though she did speak baby sign language since six months old. And then they also don't talk about, which is something that still we struggle with today, pragmatic language, Right. That is, especially for autistic kids, that's so important. And I'm still trying to figure out why that isn't something wrapped into curriculum specialized for these kids at school. That's a whole other conversation. But we went to early intervention twice. And I think the the, the second time they were clearly annoyed that they had to come back. And they're like, she's fine. Maybe stop giving her Claritin. And I'm like, yeah, it's not the Claritin because I gave it to her like twice. Like, like that was like a year ago. Like she had a, she had ear infections. So she had to take antihistamines that doesn't cause autism. And I didn't even think I got the time. I didn't think she had autism. I didn't really like, I honestly was so busy comparing her to her sibling that I, I just didn't realize this is my own learning path. I didn't realize how different it could be for two different kids. Like how autism is not the same thing for two, like how every single person is their own unique. That was just something I had to learn on my own journey here, which I guess is something doctors, nurses, practitioners, psychologists, they all have to learn that too at some point that they're all completely different people with different symptoms. It's just completely, it's just mind blowing how different each kid is. Right. And that could also be a contributing factor to more children being diagnosed because these clinicians and diagnostic the the people diagnosing i can't talk today are being exposed and are learning more through practicing i mean you get a degree in school but you have to you know apply that to real life and i think the more exposure and you know time they spend around all of kids that are so different um even getting like an adhd diagnosis is hard so for 
anyone that is not a parent of a child with autism for to say like they're handing these diagnoses out no they're not um if it was in my reach i would go send get the stack for the process of getting jack formally diagnosed with adhd it, it, he has to have a form sent to his teacher me and jeremy have to fill out separate forms and that's all before he even gets seen by the specialist that is going to see him and possibly diagnose him. So it's not an easy process. Mm -hmm. And for us, early intervention was basically, like you said, they came out, they, they assessed him. They said he needed assistance and they offered like one hour of assistance a week with an early, like an intervention specialist and recommended speech therapy. Like they recommended things to me to basically go do through my insurance company because of the waiting list. There are so mm -hmm. many children um that are waiting for early intervention specialists. And there's just the reality is there is not people to provide the services. There mm -hmm. are not that many therapists. There are not that many um, teachers. There are not that many out there that can support the needs of our kids. Well, I sent you this article that I read today by, it says John Elder... Robison and it says Dana Gassner. It says there is no pandemic of autism. It's a pandemic of need, right? So I think the, the bigger concern is it's it's been clear for the last twenty years that this is rising, but the it's like the actual everything else is so far behind. Even for me, my advice to parents now when they suspect these things. And I'm always like, try to see a doctor right away. As soon as you can see a doctor, see a doctor, because these people at early intervention, they're not doctors. Some of them have no business doing with And I'm saying that on the record, I don't care. Some of them have no business going and screening kids. They really do. Yeah, the people yeah, that came to my house to screen my daughter had no business doing what they do for a living because they missed every red flag that I brought to them that I was taken very seriously by doctors when I brought it to doctors. And I don't know if it's because, you know, of a broken system. I don't know what the situation is or they're just, it's like anybody can just go do this. Like any, any person off the street can go evaluate kids. That was kind of the impression I got when I look back is I get so angry when I look back seeing all of the missed things because we only got a diagnosis at three, right, right after her third birthday. And I had been. And by that time for a good year, intervention is over. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but here's the other side of the coin, right? I can sit here and criticize early intervention, but by the time you start seeing the signs as a parent, you're close to that, that age. And then all the waiting lists, like it's not even possible to see a doctor first. Like you are really relying on these people who, who people just come into your house. And this is something every autism parent can relate to. People just come into your house. And when you're seeing you know, with autism, it's usually you're seeing extreme behaviors. That's usually the red flags when they're little, like things that you're like, whoa, like, why is this little person so angry? Why is this little person so frustrated? And 
it always comes down to, and I'm so sick of this because this has been happening to my daughter since she's two years old, is adults just being like bad parenting, must be bad parenting. And they're like, have you tried? And I'm just looking at them like, yes, I have tried that. Clearly. Yeah. So for it's me, not. it's almost the opposite, Laura, because people would come in and see Jaden like a hurricane, like, oh, mm -hmm. wow. And then say, but you guys are doing a great job. You got it under control. When we were barely surviving, like I d remember a time where I didn't sit down because I had to be prepared to grab him, pull him. And just because I was good at that or I became, what you know, for his safety, what he needed didn't mean I didn't need support. He clearly needed the support, and I'm sure they go into all kinds of homes, but he should have not, the support he was given should not been uh, dictated on my ability to handle his hyperness or keep him safe, because yeah. honestly, it was so hard on me. And when somebody asks me for my uh, advice, I say, yes, get on, call a doctor, but then also call everywhere else and get yeah. on a wait list. And because by the time you get that diagnosis, the wait list, like the wait lists are only growing. So it's like, you have to get, and they're like, oh, what wait list? I said, all of them, every single, yeah, every single one you can get mine, on, call, yeah. and get on it. Listen, we, we were on, oh my God. So my. I mean, my, my pediatrician was amazing at the time. Once we really started seeing like, okay, this is, this is like a problem. Um, we need to get help. She was like, okay, get on this waiting list. I was on the waiting list for children, specialized hospital for CHOP, which is children's hospital of Philadelphia. Um, I was on the waiting list for then a bunch of individual developmental pediatricians. But then my doctor's like, okay, while we're on the wait list for those, start seeing individual doctors so we can piece together like an idea of what's going on. So then it was like, okay, let's see a neurologist, a psychiatrist. Um, then we, I started doing in New Jersey, we have perform care, which is, um, like a system of care to get in-house in-home therapy to, to like treat symptoms, which then it was like, then there was a barrier there where they're like, well, do you have an autism diagnosis? And I'm like, no, then it was like, your everything's on pause. And I'm like, well, I can't get, can't get that because I'm on all these lists. So I ended up seeing all these different doctors and it was, it was the same consistent, like a neurologist technically can't really diagnose autism, but they definitely like, I'm seeing signs of that. And, and so like, they, but they can diagnose ADHD. So I became, okay, let's say, say that because most of for girls, it, the symptoms are very close for girls with autism. And then even the psychiatrist, I remember calling him back after the developmental pediatrician that I ended up seeing, I got a cancellation, right? I got a cancellation and they're like, can you come in tomorrow? We have a cancellation and it was like, they don't take insurance. It's cash only. And I'm like, yes, I could come in tomorrow. I don't care. How much I'll give you all like, my money. I yes, need I'll to get it. like, I need to get, so I, I can't go on like this. We have to figure out like how to help my kid. And what was just so crazy is I remember going back to that. It's like, I'm like, okay, hey, like they said autism. You never said autism. Oh yeah. I could see that, but I can't, I, I don't diagnose that, you know, at that age, I don't, she's two years old. I can't diagnose that. And I'm like, but you like, didn't think to say anything to me. <laughs> Like, what the hell? So I, I went to all these doctors, but they all confirmed, like, the same suspicion of it. 
but it was really like getting into that that developmental pediatrician that was able to actually they did a like four hour have like three or four hours with her they were in the room with her doing all kinds of tests having her do all these activities and it was just like finally like so it was like validating to be like okay I felt like people were making me feel crazy because I'm bringing all these issues to them. And then I was like, okay, there is something wrong. Like there, there is something. Cause I, I started, I mean, I started asking my pediatrician 18 months old, like, Hey, my kid's banging her head against the wall. Like this doesn't seem normal. And like, Oh, if they still do it after, you know, after like three, then like we get concerned. So everyone's always worried with this number three, if they do it after three, it's a concern. Yeah. Um, I, I got a lot of the same things from my pediatrician. It really was a developmental doctor that saw things. And it was things that I told these other doctors, but he saw them through different glasses with a different perspective. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But one of the things he said was um, when he like he watched Jaden for a I remember him. It was a very, very thorough. And I yeah. remember and he said, uh like he had so many notes like the 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 form like the diagnosis when you print it out like them it's very very thorough and he said to me did you notice when he was playing with the toys he was tossing them behind his back which he does all the time because i yeah. said he doesn't play with toys properly like he doesn't and he said oh, hold on let me pause you there there is no right way to play with toys that was a criticism i got from parents on play dates because my daughter to this day and this is something that kind of goes against the whole autism thing she has the biggest imagination and she plays with toys so inquisitively and people are like she's not playing the right way and i'm always like there's no right way you know it's imagination I'm like back up. So okay, yeah. I'll take you there. I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> yeah. it. I agree with that. I agree with that. However, he was throwing the toys. Um, that is so true because even now, uh, <laughs> even now, Jaden will play with his alphabet and things like that, and he plays with them and he is enjoying his time and he does it not the way I would do it, but it's his way. So I, I think that took me a while to learn. But when you're on those sites, one of the things are, does he play with the toys? Does he use, like, so, but anyways, he was throwing the toys behind his back. And the doctor said, like, most children would look to their parent to see the reaction of what, you know, I just tossed mm -hmm. this toy. What are you going to do? He didn't, he didn't even look, like, he just kept going because it, it he didn't care what our reaction was going to be. He was doing what he, but he said things like that mm -hmm. uh, were, were what uh, brought him to the diagnosis where the other doctors, were, they saw it so differently. They're like, yeah, but he holds the toy and he likes the toy, which that goes behind what you're saying. But this guy saw things like yeah he should be looking for you for a social cue on who should I do that again or am i yeah. trouble so it's like he saw it and was able to uh explain it and show me you know what he saw through his eyes and what he thought you know Jaden's biggest hurdles are going to be and what we needed to focus on working with you know and 
but it took us and there are I want to say there are several developmental pediatricians in the Navy. That's a great thing that the Navy has. And they um, even have um, one that is switches out from Japan to help diagnose kids in need in Japan so that those diagnoses aren't being missed. It did take, though, a very long time to get in. I want to say six months. And I want to say I got in because I called every day and Mm -hmm. asked for cancellations and asked because I knew. I knew. I told my mom walking in, FYI, they're going to diagnose genital autism today. So just, you know, hold it, you know, keep it together. And as soon as he said it, I was hyster- like, I was the one, I wasn't hysterical. I was just like, had tears rolling down my yeah. face. And it was because not that, you know, it was just ever all the emotions, but I just felt validated. Like I knew it, I knew it. And somebody is finally seeing like, I'm not crazy. Yeah. Well, it's validating in a weird way because you end up having so many people talking you out of it throughout. Even doctors are like, oh, no, it's not that. Let's wait and see. This is typical. I mean, a lot of this stuff is developmentally appropriate. Like the tantrums and stuff for two-year-olds, they're developmentally, they're appropriate. Like they're oh, not abnormal. Absolutely. So it's like, so you have so many people talking you off the ledge. But then it's like, it becomes more apparent with time, too, to, to see that it really is there. So for me, it was like, I kept talking myself out of it. But then, like. But then still seeing it, be like, I don't know, and talking myself out of it. And it's just such a weird, yeah, it's in like those that- early years, it's a weird, it's a weird time. Like you don't know what to do. And when we were in our test, like I, I, I still see the, de- the developmental pediatrician, like she diagnosed my daughter almost six years ago. I've been seeing her ever since twice a year for treatment. And she writes all my scripts. She's the best. And what I remember sitting through that really long test and just all the little tests that she had to look for things. Like, cause there was points where we left the room and points where she wasn't, you know, and we could see through the glass, like just the things she had her do. I just never thought like there was one test where she handed her a jar of goldfish and it was like, t- no kid could get this open. And she just hands it to Allie. Cause Allie, you know, she loved goldfish and she couldn't get it open. And her reaction the doctor explained each thing to me as we went through like each test. Like she explained to me the results and the why. Like like people like to be like, oh, they hand out like candy. Like, oh no, like I was thoroughly explained to what and why and how this all applies to my child throughout the whole process. It was like, well, a, a typical kid would look to their parent for help. Your kid screamed, cried, and threw the goldfish on the ground and was hysterical. Like the typical response would have been to ask for help. She didn't know how to do that at her age. So that, that was a flag. But then it's like, there are so many flag that those tests are so thorough. There's so many components that I'm sorry, you, you have to fail a certain amount of those tests to get the diagnosis. It's not handed out. Yes, I agree. And it's, almost careless or like callous to say that these diagnoses are being handed out uh like frivolously mm-hmm. and- I still get people that say to me oh I don't think she has autism I'm like listen I've gone through the I've gone through the the steps of acceptance I'm not going back into the closet with you like yeah. I acknowledge it I know it 
I'm okay with it. I've accepted it. I'm working with it. Like I'm not having this. I get so like, we're not having this conversation when I get really like defensive now and people start to tell me, well, I don't see it. And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. What you see does not matter to me. I'm like, walk a week in my shoes and you'll see it. Even the early intervention person. Oh my God. Like I can't wait to write a book one day. Like I just, my story's not over yet. So I'm not, I haven't done it yet. But like, I remember early intervention was like, the biggest concern was she was getting kicked out of daycares and they're like, Oh, well, daycare is not for everyone. And I'm like, but working is for everyone. Like what do you mean? Daycare is not. For-? I remember getting so explosive because that, I don't know, like those little nuggets of ableism and like discrimination, like they, people just don't see their work. Like, cause for me, that was, that was literally how I found out was, she couldn't function in these group settings outside of my house at two years old. And two years old is very young to have these struggles. Um, so for me, that was a big red flag. And I know when people are just like, oh, might not be autism. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. And when you get that diagnosis, it's like you expect support. So as <laughs> these numbers it are increasing. Laugh. Let's take a minute to laugh. Like, let's just pause. Like, let's take a minute to laugh. Like, yeah, you really expect, like, you expect, you expect it, right? like, this, like, army of people to log in and help you. <laughs> what you really get, though, is I'm not, I, this is one of the what most you important you really get is a piece of paper. And- you get ostracized and <laughs> You literally are just isolated. Like you get, it's like, oh, here's an, here's the door. Let's walk through the autism door. And it's like you fall down a black hole. Right. Like as soon as you leave, <laughs> they close the door and then you open another door and it's pitch black. There's nothing there. And you're like, okay, what now? Mm-hmm. So my like concern with like the recent, you know, increase in numbers and it's always been a concern of mine. It's something that has been an issue for a long time. But as the numbers keep rising, I'm wondering when we are going to start really uh, changing so that there is support for these kids, these parents that are all of a sudden caregivers and having to provide way more care than a traditional parent does and everyone has like this expectation of how they're going to be as a parent but when you throw in autism that that's out the window that doesn't apply anymore I you could have your beliefs and I I I support everyone who has their beliefs but the reality is autism changes almost everything about how I approach a lot of situations that are, you know, involve my son because he, his brain is wired different. And the way, the way I support him is by learning the techniques that work for him. And that's a whole area that is just like, not even really acknowledged. We need to support the parents. We have to, magically find all these therapists that are trained we need to uh there's just so much and 
you would think they would pay these people a lot of money or things like that. And the reality is they don't. And they expect them to work for very low wages. And it doesn't help us with the lack of support. Well, this this one in 36, I like that whole saying that an epidemic of need, because these are not numbers where it's going to be sustainable to just keep saying, put this kid in that class, do that. Like at some point, there's so many that it's not realistic to say that we're not all going to a have someone close to us or part of our family who has autism, right? There is, there's nobody's really safe from this. I love, I always like to send that message out to the parents who've all the parents who've given my daughter a hard time in the last eight years. I like to be like, good luck getting around it. You don't know who your kid's going to marry. You don't know what your grandkids are going to be like. You literally have no idea if this will ever affect you personally. Like, it's nice you could walk around being nasty, but good luck. Good luck dodging that autism bullet, okay? Because it's out there. And none of us asked or planned to have this life. And I think it's just so important to acknowledge, like, how is, I worry about, like, education, right? We don't have enough special education teachers or people who don't know how to teach these kids because they do, they they learn very differently. Their Their needs are different their expectations are different or not realistic half the time. I worry about things like the inclusion part, right? Like these are parts of our community, parts of our society with the numbers being this high, this attitude that has been happening of segregating and putting them over there. How is that? How does that work in the future? You know, how does that work when, when people are taking over a big piece of the pie like, how, what does that look like? Because it's not it's not a sustainable future if that's the attitudes that people are going to have. Right. And there are there's going to be no way around it. Honestly, there's not going to be a way around it there. The numbers are clearly only increasing and. With the support not increasing, even decreasing in the recent years, because special special education teachers, special education paras, uh, the SLPs in the schools, the OTs, their jobs are undervalued. They're not valued. There could be the best special education teacher in the world who wants to be there and would do anything, but then she's paired with paras that have no professional training, are right out of high school, passed the background check, and are not adequate support to help her teach the kids the way they need to be taught. It's like there are so many layers of failure when it comes to education how are we going to include without training and like every coach should be trained on autism every uh person that runs an extracurricular club should have some level of training why because these kids deserve to be included and eventually you cannot exclude everyone well, yeah, that's, I've been saying since she's little, I keep saying, because in New Jersey, it was one in 34. I'm like, 
okay, one in 34, you're all going to be out of business because you're not going to have any kids left to, to serve with all the, all the thing, all the activities that I've had to deal with and all the complaints I've had to file. But I think what's really, it's just concerning. is just looking at this whole picture, right? What, what we're saying is, and I don't even, I, I'm a big component of all these changes and all this awareness. This doesn't cost money. This is stuff. The it's a, it's a paradigm shift, right? Everyone right now, the way that everything is the foundation of everything is very focused on compliance and kids fitting into a mold, right? And kids being changed to fit, to do X, Y, and Z. That's not reality. It's the future. Like the biggest struggle I have is when I have to bring up all these things to rely on the adults to be the ones who have to change the way they think, the way they approach, because the kids are different. These kids are different. Like they can't approach these kids the same way, but so many are so unwilling to, to actually grow themselves as people to actually be the person they need to be, that that's the real barrier in the world. It's not even because for me, autism has also become a, a bit about business. I'm sick of reading about all this like ABA, you know, all the, there's so much stuff going on. Um, this OT Greg Santucci was uncovering this whole thing with, um, the, I guess it was the, the National Education Association pushed an article about student behavior. And it was written by a BCBA who didn't disclose that they were BCBA. So there's this whole like thing that he was uncovering on Facebook about how, okay, but you're, you're like pushing a business that financially impacts you as a person that's unethical. And this has become a problem because ABA is like the only autistic approved therapy research based and it it's really becoming like the more you know i i think like for me and i will admit this in the beginning it sprinkled a lot of hope like oh my god they got this they got her to stop eloping and it was like it was like feeding the adults little cookies of oh my god like they fixed this and it's like well no they just changed they just replaced the behavior with something else so for me i've become a big component of I want to teach my kids skills and values and things to be part of the world, not to just keep changing and substituting behavior. Like it doesn't really work in the long run. You're just, it's all about changing behaviors to another behavior to replace. It's just exhausting. And it, I feel like we, we, we took like three steps ahead and then four steps back. So for me seeing it the long, you know, over several years, I'm kind of like, nah, that's not, I'm going to move away from that. Cause that's not, that's not a thing. Then I realized, you know, I just paid off my daughter's ABA therapy bills like last Congratulations. month. Congratulations. She is almost nine. We stopped ABA. She was six. Tell me, and my insurance paid the majority of the bill, right? I just, it just hit me over the last couple of years. Like I paid thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars for this. And where did it get me? Nowhere. There's no skills that have been learned. There's, I, I mean, I have some strategies that I use in times of crisis, but it's not, it hasn't really, the other things have made an impact for her. So for me, I look back and I think about all the families who would have gotten that phone call that I got, like, can you come tomorrow? Can you pay $800 for this evaluation? How many families can't do that? 
right? And I acknowledge the privilege that I have that I was able to whip out a credit card and make everything happen. But like, I think about the families who didn't get the help, didn't get the diagnosis, didn't get the services, they didn't get all of that, those things, right? And then I think about, this is the, the thing where I don't have an answer to, right? I think about all those kids walking around who don't have a diagnosis, either for that reason, or because their parents are still in denial and are just saying my kid is fine. Because that's also, there's lots of kids walking around there whose parents are just, don't want labels. They don't even want to know, which I don't even want to get into. Like, I try to explain to parents all the time, like, the label is a medical label that is protected by your privacy rights that nobody needs to know about, but it's better to know what the situation is than to just pretend it doesn't exist because it still exists regardless. I'm not going to get in a philosophical rant about that, but there's right. just, and well, I think about powers. those kids, right? I think about those kids who didn't get the help, but then I also look at like, I think about both, right? Cause I, I know, I, I, you know how it is when you have a kid, there's so many kids walking around. You see it when you're a parent who's dealt with it especially like the high functioning kid, like you see the traits right away. Like, and I'm not a doctor, but you totally know when you're seeing a kid in public having an issue, like you can just almost tell like, okay, that kid's definitely on the spectrum. Like we, you just know, I mean, I don't say that kind of stuff out loud because it's not my place, but I'm, I just want to think about real quick. Like I think about the kid who didn't get the help, didn't get the services. Then I look at my kid who got all the help, all the services, everything under the sun, and they're the, say there's two kids the same age, the same, having the same struggles, they're having the meltdown in public, they're having um, the behavior, all these things, right? And what I see the same on this playing field for both families, both families are crappy parents. At the end of the day, when you have a kid with autism who's not, or who's just not diagnosed because you couldn't afford it, at the end of the day, it all comes down to you're a shit parent. And that for me is... This one in 36 number is where, like, for me, that is where the advocacy is because I've met so many amazing people over the years. Some people I've met are like incredible educators, right? Or incredible, like, important people who get their kids the help. They're like, they're families that I know, and we all get the same. Oh, we're shitty parents. And it's just like, that is society's, that's society's explanation is. Oh, that kid's not autistic. Their parents are crap. And that is for me, like what this number needs to, to work on is that attitude. Cause I, I know like I'm personally sick of being accused of being a bad parent. Right. And honestly, if parenting could fix autism, do you not think I would do whatever parenting I needed to do mm -hmm. to help my son not struggle. Like, let's be realistic here when we say that. Because so many parents are given such a hard time. Whether they have spent their life savings. Whether they are working tw 12 jobs just to pay a copay for one. You know, everybody's circumstances are so different. But at the end of the day, it's always the, you know, the parents and what the parents did or didn't do. And the reality is, like you, I did everything for my son. I paid, the money was no object. I mean, it was. And well, it, we, of course it is. It's just. And know, we just put ourselves into debt, but yeah. substantial debt. And. 
I know I tell but I get like so defensive of that when people because there's definitely people who walk around especially people who are local to me who are just like she's a shitty parent and I'm just like really does a shitty parent completely give up their career change careers read hundreds of books about this spend all of their time and energy put into trying to figure out how to give their kids the skills that they need to function in life and unfortunately like at the end of the day and I've put so much effort into this and I'm at a point now where it's like, I'm not trying to change my kid anymore. Cause I spent, I've spent most of her eight years trying to change her. I'm trying to help guide her by giving her as many skills to handle as many situations that I can, because I can't, we can't change our kids. And I think the expectation that we get from people is that we need to change them. And, right. Or you, know, you, you can't it. come here unless you change yourself. Right. People, or you need to get this like uh situation of autism under control and fixed, and then you can come back. The reality is that we can't change our kids, but we can support them and we can help them yeah. learn the skills that they need. And I think this number now with the in the increase, it's all over the news. It's going to be, I think, Autism Awareness. We're going to be talking a lot about this in April because it's Autism Awareness Month. So you will see lots of stories about this. And I really hope, like, you remember uh, or this helps, like, shift a mindset a little bit that it has nothing to do with anybody's parenting styles. These are kids from all different cultural uh, financial, you know, differences. They're all different boys, girls. So I hope this helps you think outside of the parenting. It's happens, you know, it's happening to young parents, old, you know, ki kids with older parents, younger parents. There is no single thing or factor that causes autism. They have not found it. There is no, no. nothing. So, you know, we need to say, right. And then I'm so sick of this too. I keep getting, getting these ads about, did you take Tylenol when you were pregnant? Everybody freaking took Tylenol. That's all you pregnant. could take. That's all you could take. Like you couldn't <laughs> take anything else. Like, I'm sorry, but if you were pregnant and you didn't have a single headache the whole time, like high five. Right. I, or if your back didn't hurt and you didn't pop one Tylenol, I mean, go girl you you yeah right i don't there's all this like victim blaming too like i'm sorry like there was we didn't know there was no way of knowing there was literally no way of knowing and there was nothing that any of us did that caused it it can literally happen to anybody like that's the i always just like that it can happen to you it can happen to anybody it's that not our fault like no it didn't run in our family I mean, I mean, now I guess like we're seeing that, but it wasn't known that it did. Yeah, the same thing here. It, we, I was like, like, we were like completely shocked. But guess what? We changed our whole life. We do everything we can for our kid. And I hope that this, you know, makes you think about all those parents, one in 36 now, that Someone are going to join <laughs> this club that we're in that we never signed up for. We never chose to be in. We never, <laughs> it, it, we were thrown into 
and basically are, you know, doing the best we can with the tools and the limited, very limited support that is actually available. Yes. I know. I just, I would just love for people to just put themselves in our shoes one day. Like nobody would sign up to be a parent. Like if you're just like, Hey, come be a parent in this autism group, you will get things like you can never go out to eat because there's no one to watch your kid. You will have no money because all of your money will be spent on therapists. There will be no t-ball or gymnastics for your child because you will again be a doctor's office and therapist. There will be no date night. You will have a like 80% chance of getting divorced. You will fight with your spouse about all kinds of crazy things that shouldn't even be part of a conversation in any marriage. You will feel like utter garbage at the end of the day because you try everything you can to make life better for your child and it's still hard for them. Nobody would sign up for this. Like this Never. Is not, nobody would sign up to do any of this. It is it is extremely hard. And it was like, oh, do you want to fight with your whole community? Do you want to fight with everybody all the time? Right. Um, do you want to constantly have to advocate for basic needs? Yeah. No, nobody wants to do that. But there are lots of us out there doing it. So. Yep. And if you are new to autism or autism parenting, we welcome you here and we will tell you the truth and we will never sugarcoat it. So that's yeah, what you're looking for. A big part of our growth, like for me, a big part of my growth over this journey is I'm going, I'm, I'm totally transparent about all the mistakes I've made along the way. Cause I think it's really important. Like all the things that people say about my kid to me, I said about, I said to at the beginning, I, I, I was in that and I've grown so much as a person since then that I know better. So I do better. And for us on this journey, it's just important. Like, I think we talk about the things we've done wrong or the, you know, we thought our kids were never going to eat McDonald's. Like, you're okay. Like yeah, right. my perfect little angels. Yeah. My kid is going to be like the best behaved kid. Um, we talk about all that because it's, it's important to, to know that you can't plan, you can't plan everything. It's, it's a roller coaster and you have to just learn how to navigate it and you know how to do better. Yep. And we see you, we see you and we know that you're trying your best. Yeah. We're all trying our best. Yep. All right. Well, right, well thank, you. <laughs> thank you for listening to this special episode. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Yes Day Inclusion. To leave us a voice message, please use the provided link because we'd love to hear from you.